we're going to start peeling back some layers of conversation on the question and idea of the Holy Spirit, His role in our lives. Don't say it. Uh, say His. The Holy Spirit is not an it. It's not Casper the Friendly Ghost. It's not Daddy Junior and Spooky. That's not the Trinity, okay? We're talking about the person of the Holy Spirit. You might not realize it, but you are actually the person of a spirit that exists within a body. And your body's only going to last so long, and then guess what's going to remain? Not an it. Him or her created in the image of God when He breathed life into you. You became a living person in the image of God Almighty. So, God bears this resemblance, and we bear the resemblance of God, really more accurately stated. And today, you might not realize it, but it is Pentecost Sunday. Welcome to Pentecost Sunday. What does that really mean? And I want us to see that, know that, understand it. I actually said something recently, hey, it's Pentecost Sunday, and the person that I was talking to said, oh, yeah, I know somebody who wears a long skirt and doesn't do their hair, and um, and that was their immediate response to the idea of Pentecost Sunday. And so I want us to take back some terminology and some semantics that have been lost. I want to talk to you on a little bit deeper level than maybe what um, I would typically do. We're going to walk through this in the course of these next three, four weeks and get a really clear understanding of what God's wanting us to know about our relationship with the Holy Spirit. I know this might shock you, but the most important relationship you can cultivate in your life is your relationship with the Holy Spirit. God the Father loved you so much, He sent Jesus to demonstrate a lifestyle that we are empowered by the Spirit of God to live every day for the rest of our lives. So we have to really cultivate that relationship with the Spirit of God. Now, this is the thing you have to understand. Everyone in the room has a variety of conclusions about the Holy Spirit. There are people in the room with experiential conclusions. How many of you have had some wild, spectacular experiences with the Holy Spirit? Let's just see what that looks like. How many of you in the room have seen some really weird reactions to the Holy Spirit? Can I see your hands? Okay, so that's normally where the two camps uh, extend an expression. I'm going to talk more about this next week, but this divide goes all the way back to before Jesus' day. There were the Pharisees and there were the Sadducees, and the Pharisees were the spiritual ones, and they believed in heaven, and the Sadducees, they were the practical ones, and they thought the Pharisees were a little spooky. And so, these, this divide existed and exists even in the world that you and I live in today, but I believe we need to learn to keep our spiritual life practical and our practical life spiritual if we're really going to be who God's called us to be. Jesus was not just a man, Jesus was God. And so, those two streams came together to awaken the fullness of truth the way God desires for us to. So, here's the thing. Everybody in the room has a variety of conclusions. Some of you have experiential conclusions. Some of you have doctrinal conclusions. People have told you what to believe. Doctrinally, you've agreed and aligned yourself in that way. Some of you have theological conclusions. You've, you've heard theologically and you've aligned, maybe Arminianist, Calvinist, you know, different perspectives that you've read and looked into this. But here's my question. Whatever your experiential, theological, and doctrinal conclusions are, are they biblical conclusions? That's the question. Are they biblical conclusions? So, I just want to look right at Scripture today as we start to evaluate this concept and perspective and understanding. Please continue to study and read your assignment this week. I hope you've been reading the book of Acts. 
uh, because I had asked you to read the book of Acts this past week and start to see the birth of the church. Uh, my next assignment for you, I hope you'll do this, you'll read First and Second Corinthians. Primarily, when you look at the chapters 12 to 14, Paul is giving some direction in First Corinthians to the gifts of the Spirit functioning in the body of Christ. Very interesting when you look at all that. And I want to try and break that down as best I can. Uh, but the bottom line, the Holy Spirit is not an easy subject. Would you agree? It's not an easy subject. There's just so many variety of perspectives. It's almost like if you don't jump into a person's camp to affirm what they've decided to believe, then they kick you out of their camp. And I, I think it is really important that you understand this right up front. I'm going to talk scientifically, historically, and theologically, or biblically, I should say, today. And we're going to see a few elements of all of those, and I'll explain that. But I want you to understand there's the anointing of the Holy Spirit, there's the infilling of the Holy Spirit, there's a the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Uh, you know, there's this uh, various perspectives of the Holy Spirit. Nobody in this room has this all figured out. In the book of Revelation, there's seven spirits of God. What's that all about? You know, I, I, it's, it's, it's just, it's a shame to me, it's a travesty in the body of Christ that people stand up and act as if, act as if this is, you know, everybody else is an idiot. This is the way. Let me just tell you something. The only one who has it all figured out is God Almighty. And, and it's a pathetic effort on our part to try and come to understanding of all this, but it's a necessary effort in pathetic, not in bad, but pathetic in like paling in comparison to the reality of the wisdom and the revelation of God. Though He has given us Scripture and the example of Christ, and He wants us to have our own experience with the Holy Spirit and base that on the truth of what the Bible has to say. Very important you understand this. Write it in your first blank. We don't have to come into total agreement on this topic. I know it's a shocker for you to hear someone say that in church, but you don't have to have church division over doctrinal conclusions, even if we don't all agree. We can have, write the word in, distinction without having division. There's some people who follow the ways of John Wesley. Some people follow the ways of George Whitefield. Two very different trains of thought. John Wesley was much more of an Arminianist. For those of you who know what that is, George Whitefield was much more of a Calvinist. And the two were great friends. They were great friends. They didn't see eye to eye on all the secondary doctrines. Let me assure you, we will never negotiate the lordship and the deity of Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. That's not up for negotiation. But secondary issues that we talk about, predestination. I will guarantee there are different people in this room with different perspectives about predestination, and I assure you, your eldership in this church has different perspectives on predestination. We've come to resolve that even as leaders in a church, we can have distinction without having to have division where we wrestle everybody down to comply with one train of thought. We can learn and expand and grow and develop if we're willing to do that. It was interesting because John Wesley and George Whitefield were having a conversation and John Wesley said, the Arminius, said to George Whitefield, who believed everything that happens is God's will, Calvinism, then John Wesley said to George Whitefield, you know, your God seems a lot like my devil. And it was quite an interesting exchange that they had. You would think that they would be at odds with each other for a statement like that, but John Wesley was invited to do George Whitefield's funeral. They were not only friends, they were close endearing friends who didn't agree on all secondary issues. So welcome to the world of church where we as the body of Christ can actually learn to have distinction without having to have division. Come on, let's stamp the enemy out and declare he has no place as we study out the Word of God. The Holy Spirit is biblical. 
He is mentioned more than 800 times in Scripture. We need to understand what God reveals about the Holy Spirit. Theology is the study of the Word of God. That's what theology is. Listen, our angle tends to be temporal conclusions about our study of infinite God. Do you understand? Temporal conclusions about infinite God lead us to, um, to conclusions that are never going to be complete. You, you, you can't figure God out. I don't know if you understand. You can't bring God down into your box and wrestle him into your logical conclusions. You simply can't do that. All I'm saying is your faith requires an element of your willingness to believe what you cannot always understand if you're really going to embrace God for who God says God is. Theology that refuses the illogical is utterly incomplete. Just because you can't get it and understand it doesn't mean it isn't true and isn't real. So let's be willing to move beyond logical forms. So let's start. I'm gonna, I mentioned scientifically, historically. First, I want to just take you into a little bit of a scientific expression today. You do realize that you and I believe in the natural realm, and there are things about the natural realm we do not understand. Every week on this, I'm going I'm to introduce to you another concept. If we go into the smallest microcosmic level on cellular uh, science, molecular science, and we look into this incredible depth of how tiny things are going on in our bodies, it is mind-boggling. It's beyond your comprehension and understanding. And here's a brief clip to help you understand that. But these machines that power the inside of the cells are really quite amazing, and they really are the basis of all life, but because all of these machines uh, interact with each other, they pass information to each other, they cause different things to happen inside the cell, and the cell will actually manufacture the parts that it needs on the fly from information that's brought from the nucleus by uh, molecules that read the genes. This is the FedEx delivery guy of the cell. This little guy is called a Kinesin, and he pulls a sack that's full of brand new manufactured proteins to wherever it's needed in the cell, whether it's to a membrane, whether it's to an organelle, whether it's to build something or repair something. And each of us has about 100,000 of these things running around right now inside each one of your 100 trillion cells. So no matter how lazy you feel, you're not really intrinsically doing nothing. <laughs> so what I want you to do when you go home is think about this and think about how powerful our cells are and think about some of the things that, that we're learning about cellular uh, mechanics. And once we figure out all that's going on, and, and believe me, we know almost a percent of what's going on. These micro-machines are aware enough of what the cell needs, that they do their bidding, they work together, they make the cell do what it needs to do, and their working together helps our bodies, huge entities that they will never see, function properly. Okay, how many of you are fascinated by that? Like, that's crazy, all the way down into one cell looking at what's taking place. And did you hear what he said? 
we know how much of a percent? Almost 1%. So I want you to think about this. The most brilliant scientists of our day admit they know less than 99% of what is going on in the body. I mean, this is, this is pretty bizarre. I mean, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. So understand, if this is the case with creation, if creation itself moves well beyond our logic, then how much more the creator of all creation? And, I, you know, I'm just trying to stretch you into some thinking that probably will fly in the face of most of you in the room. I'm not here to promote a certain doctrine. I want to explore what the Word of God has to say about these particular issues, and I want you to explore what the Word of God has to say and embrace the truth of the Word for yourself to walk this out with deep, deep conviction. So, Pentecost Sunday. Here we are, Pentecost Sunday. What is Pentecost Sunday all about? Let me just give you the background on this so that you have an understanding. These are things that that I'm learning as I'm studying this in preparation. But Pentecost Sunday is not merely about the birth of the New Testament church. We all know 50 days after Christ, you know, Jesus comes, He's crucified, He's risen from the grave, Easter shows up, the resurrection celebration that we've now called Easter in our society. And, and 50 days after that, then we celebrate Pentecost 50 days after, then the, the birth of the New Testament church. But do you understand that was actually Pentecost was happening before? the birth of the New Testament church. If you go back into the Jewish holidays, what you'll find is actually Passover took place, and then 50 days after Passover was Pentecost, which was a celebration of harvest. I don't know if you put all that together, but Jesus was presented from God the Father in the earth as His unblemished Lamb presented to humanity the very day that the Jews were selecting their unblemished Lamb to celebrate Passover all the way back to when God spared the Israelites in Egypt with the blood of the Lamb. On that day, Jesus died. Fifty days after Jesus died, the Lamb of God was slain. Fifty days later, Pentecost, the celebration of harvest. Are you getting it? The seed of God was sown into the ground, and 50 days later, the harvest of the supernaturally empowered sons and daughters of God came forth. We are the empowered sons and daughters of God. It's crazy how all that begins to align, what that begins to awaken, how that helps us see. Understand that's what Pentecost Sunday is for us. It's more complete than maybe what we've understood it to be. Acts chapter 2, we're just going to look at the Bible, and I'm going to dispel some theological errors today, okay? Regardless of your background, just read the Bible for what it says. Acts 2, 1 to 4. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. I want you to read this last verse with me, if you would, please. Let's all say it out loud. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. As the Spirit enabled them, they began to speak. All of them. Interesting the way this happened. Now, some believe 
that yes, that's in the Bible, and that was for that generation church to awaken Christianity in the earth. And then, you know, that was the it. That was the end of gifts of the Spirit. And so we don't have gifts of the Spirit anymore. It was for the first generation church. I understand that belief structure. I've studied that out. I was actually born again into a belief structure that very much resembled that. And then in the midst of that, I had to kind of figure out, well, you know, this actually this chapter goes on. You know, it says other stuff in there. Verse 17, same chapter, Holy Spirit has come, gifts of the Spirit awaken. Verse 17, in the last days. Would you say last days? We're not talking about the first generation church. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. These are the gifts of the Spirit. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. The Spirit of God and the power of God and the gifts of the Spirit are not just for the first generation church, they're also for the last generation church. The gifts of the Spirit didn't pass away. They couldn't have passed away because they are not only for the first generation church, they're for the last generation church. Well, maybe they're just for the first generation and the last generation and not in between. Well, have you ever seen those ads on TV? But wait, there's more. That's funny, Ryan. <laughs> this goes on. Same chapter, continuation of reading, gifts of the Spirit, Holy Spirit's come, empower the church. <clears throat> Verse 38 and 39, Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. They're, they're making fun of them saying, yeah, they're drunk. He said, no, no, it's 9 o'clock in the morning. They're not drunk. The Holy Spirit has come upon them. And now he's saying, if you will stop mocking them, you'll repent and receive Christ. This gift of the Holy Spirit, it's for you. Now look, verse 39, the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. That's everybody. The power of the Holy Spirit is for the first generation church The power of the Holy Spirit is for the last generation church, and the power of the Holy Spirit is for the every generation church. It is for the every generation church. So I want you to to follow me on what I would call theological conjecture, okay? I'm just going to give you some of my opinion of something, and it may not be right. I'm just telling you that right up front. I'm not, I'm not trying to sway you into my beliefs. I want you to read the Scripture for yourself. But this is a really unique idea I want to present to you. Your sons and daughters will prophesy in the last generation church. Okay, there's something really unique that happened in the last uh, little over 100 years. In the year 1900, historically, we've moved from scientifically now to historically, uh, having a conversation. In the year 1900, nobody reported anywhere in the world, there were no reports of Pentecostal movements where Christians were filled with the Spirit, speaking in tongues, gifts of the Spirit functioning, no wild revivals going on. Nothing like that was being reported. We don't know that that wasn't happening anywhere, but none of it was being reported in 1900. Now, in 1906, something happened on the west coast of the United States of America, a little thing called a Zuzu Street Revival. 
And it is amazing. When you start to study what was taking place, it was crazy what began to happen. And in 1906, this outpouring began to happen. Now, this was an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And the LA Times, the Los Angeles newspaper, did an article because it was sweeping not only the community, it began to sweep the nation, and then it began to sweep the nations of the world. This was before uh, Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, okay? There were no viral movements of social media. This was just something starting to really take off. And so the LA Times, the daily LA Times, I actually have an article for you to look at here, and it is the uh, April the 18th, 1906. Notice the, uh, the highlighted title, Weird Babble of Tongues. This is the LA Times. This is not the Charisma Magazine. This is the LA Times. And this is what it says in the article. A visiting Baptist pastor who did not believe any of this visited, and he said, the Holy Spirit fell on me and filled me literally as it seemed to lift me up in an instant. I was shouting, praise God, and instantly I began to speak in another language. I could not have been more surprised if you had at the same moment handed me one million dollars. Now, that's a unique occurrence. I would suggest if you want to write this down, if you're from more of a conservative persuasion of a doctrinal background, and this is all a little odd for you, um, you know, it's fine. We're all on a journey trying to figure this out. But I would suggest you read a book by Jack Deere called Surprised by the Spirit. Uh, it is almost the identical story that I just that we looked at in 1906, only this is with a modern-day pastor who was surprised by the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, I had that same experience in my own life. I didn't even believe in this stuff. And then I was in a Baptist church, and you know what I found out in that Baptist church? They were Baptocostal. <laughs> and not everybody believed the same way. And it was okay. And I learned a sense of unity in a congregational family that didn't all see things eye to eye. And I landed in a small group that was more of the Holy Ghost group of the Baptocostal church. And before you knew it, I experienced this weird babble of tongues filling of the Holy Spirit for myself. It was amazing. I was blown away that this was available to me as a Christian, and I hadn't even really learned anything about it. Well, I want to just tell you, I was, in a sense, the recipient of a movement that God started in the earth in 1906. And not only were there no Christians claiming a Pentecostal spirit-filled tongue-talking experience in 1900, but that progressed along. In 1945, that caught fire. There were thousands and thousands and thousands of believers. Guess what? There were more than thousands. There were 16 million Christians worldwide that were suddenly claiming a Pentecostal experience as fire of the Holy Spirit was catching. 1955, a decade later, 27 million. A decade later, it went to 56 million. In 1975, it was 97 million. In 1985, it was 268 million. In 1995, it was 463 million. By the year 2000, it went from zero reportings to 650 million believers worldwide reporting this incredible Pentecost fire from God, fire from heaven experience. Come on, God's doing something in this century. Sociologists now say never in the history of the world has there been a non-militaristic, non-political, voluntary movement with such explosive growth. Even secular 
historians call, this is your next blank, the 20th century, the century of the Holy Spirit. Some fantastic history to look at. This is where the conjecture comes in. All that's historical, historically accurate information. But if in the last days your sons and daughters are to prophesy, let me ask this question. How many of you were born in the century of the Holy Spirit between 1900 and 2000? Raise your hand in the century of the Holy Spirit. Do you know that it is significant that you were born in the century? God chose you to be born in that century. How many of you were born after the year 2000? Can I see? Raise your hands. All right. Hold them up there high so we can see. Good. Uh, Faith, you're 2000, so you count. I'm looking to make sure my children are listening to my sermon. (laughs) So is it possible, just conjecture, just conjecture on my part, is it possible that those that were born in what has now been coined the history or the century of the Holy Spirit, is it possible that they are to be the mothers and fathers of the sons and daughters that the Bible talks about will prophesy in the last days? Is it possible that we are actually called to steward a movement and awaken the gifts in a powerful and profound way? Absolutely possible. I want my children to hear the voice of God. I am greatly, deeply convicted. There are incredible expressions of proportions that are taking place in the earth today that are mind-boggling, mind-blowing things are taking place. I want in on it. I don't want to miss out on anything that God has in store. It is God's plan to empower the church to accomplish the plans of God at an accelerated pace. It is God's plan. How many of you know when Jesus comes back, it's the wedding day, the marriage supper of the Lamb? And I can just tell you, as uh, Shay and Katie were up here doing an announcement a while ago, um, very beautiful mustache you had there. You should wax that, Katie. And so, (coughs) as they were up here doing, I'm watching them because we just recently had their uh, celebration and wedding, and it was great. And when they first came and talked to me, it was like this, we want to get married. Awesome. That was the conversation. And then so I said, okay, well, we're going to read four books, and we do this progression and write a mission statement, a budget, and I kind of laid it out, and they're like, okay, we're, we can do that. And then we had our, our next meeting, and, we went, and it, it went from we're going to get married to we're getting married. We're going to get everything done. And then, and then we had another meeting, and it went from we're getting married to we're getting married to we're getting married. <laughs> We got this to do and this to do and this to do this. How many of you know the closer you get to the day of the wedding, the busier the bride becomes? I don't know if you're catching this, church. God wants us to be awakened at an accelerated rate as we're getting closer to the day of the coming of Christ. God wants to empower us to supernatural proportions. We need to hear the voice of God. We can't just sit back and hope it all comes to pass. We must wake up and be full of the Spirit and full of power and full of anointing that destroys every yoke of bondage. See, there is rowboat Christianity, and there is sailboat Christianity. And you have to choose which flavor of Christianity you want. Both rowboat Christians and sailboat Christians are going to be in heaven. 
If you know Jesus, you're going to heaven. This is not a question of heaven. But rowboat Christianity is the Christian who says, you know, I really don't want any of that Holy Spirit stuff. I'd rather just strain at the oars for every inch of the fight of salvation that I'm walking through in this life. I'm just going to strain at the oars. But sailboat Christianity says, you know what? I got this sail sitting here. I think I'm going to pop it up and let the wind of the Spirit catch me and begin to take me at an accelerated pace everywhere God wants me to go. Come on, I don't want to row when I can sail. And the enemy wants to try and take this very important issue and cause people to twist it out of proportion, get very confused about it, and just reject it all. Because the enemy does not want the church to operate at any accelerated anything. Because when Jesus comes back, that's the conclusion of our evangelistic efforts. But you and I, we're here for now, and we need to take as many people with us on this journey to heaven that we possibly can. We need words from God. We need supernaturally empowered gifts of the Spirit awakened in our lives every day that we live in the workplace. Listen, people are not going to come to know Christ because of our polished, works, uh, polished worship services and our clever handouts and our persuasive invitations to get them into a consumer atmosphere. People are going to come to know Christ because you are hearing from heaven and something within you is being awakened that they cannot understand and comprehend and explain. Otherwise, you're just like they are. You're just a good church person. Jesus didn't come, die on the cross so that you could go to church. He came and he suffered and he died so you could be alive, really alive, not just a little alive, truly alive. For God so loved the world, He gave His only Son, Jesus. And then for God so loved those who said yes to Jesus, He sent His Holy Spirit. Sent His Holy Spirit to empower us, to equip us, to teach us, to instruct us, to comfort us. No matter what you've been taught, no matter what you've allowed yourself to believe to this point in your life, I want to ask you to prayerfully consider looking into God's Word on these very important matters over the course of these few weeks that we have together. I'll be taking us deeper after this week. I'm kind of exposing concepts and ideas today, but we're going to go deeper into this, get a clarity and a revelation and understanding of what God's desiring us to do. Your assignment last week is your assignment this week as a family, as a friend unit, whatever you have in terms of your your, your uh, community culture. Memorize Jeremiah 33, 3. Call to me, and I will answer you, and I will tell you great and mighty things which you do not know. I want to invite you also to begin to read Paul's writings to Corinthians. And we're going to break some of those down. How many in this room believe that there's more to this important topic than you've known or understood? Raise your hand if that's you. I mean, I certainly believe that for me. I want to grow in this. The question I have today, and I always center around, and we're working on this more and more as communicators, voices of destiny. We want to have a question that we're constantly working to answer through everything that we're saying in a message. And my question is, have you chosen to embrace all God desires for you to believe about the Holy Spirit? Come on, just open your heart. Have I chosen to embrace 
all God wants me to believe about the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. It'd just be bizarre if we came into this room and had a conversation about you while you are right there and never even acknowledge you. So we just invite you to begin to have those individual conversations with each of us. Causing us, Lord, just to be awakened to a greater awareness of your presence, of your power, of your anointing, of your spirit. In the mighty name of Jesus. All of this begins by a repentance, a mark of repentance, where we acknowledge Jesus is Lord. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Because of the fall of humanity, we're in a place of being separated from God the Father. But God sent His Son, Jesus, to bridge the gap and make a way where there was no way. Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you embraced the Messiah who came and fulfilled the prophecies of Scripture to demonstrate He is who He says He is? And if you have, say yes and amen. Declare it today. If you accept him today, say yes and amen and declare it in Jesus' mighty name. Every day we should renew our perspective to the Lordship of Christ. And have you been filled with the Spirit of God? And we'll see in Scripture that that's not something that just happens once, but constantly being filled up over and over and over. And let's be filled fresh and new today as we just stand to our feet. Would you just stand? Lord, I pray that today, as we acknowledge the Lordship of Christ, the truth of your Word, the power of your Spirit, I thank you, Lord, that you're helping us. Your Word says in John 14 that the Holy Spirit, the Father sent, will teach us all things and will remind us everything that Jesus has said. I thank you by the Spirit of God. There are things, Lord, being awakened within us that you've been depositing over the course of years to equip us to be in a moment like this on Pentecost Sunday where we're filled with the Spirit of God. Now I pray, Father, we be filled with the Spirit to overflowing in the mighty name of Jesus. In the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You are worthy, worthy, worthy of our praise, O oh God.